0: Okay, well every blessing to you all and welcome back to a very windy open-air pulpit and I hope, Lord willing, (laughs) that I'll be able to put a message together today called Betrayal. And when you think of the New Testament, you think of two characters. You think of Simon Peter and you think of Judas Iscariot. Simon Peter would betray the Lord, would regret his betrayal and would be restored. Judas Iscariot would betray the Lord, regret doing such, but would not be restored. And the latter would go on to commit suicide. And we are told from the book of Acts that he went to his own place. Simon Peter, of course, was restored. So right from the outset, you've got a very clear picture of two people, both apostles, and when the heat was on, When uh, pressure was put on them, they both betrayed the Lord. Of course, Judas, uh, his betrayal, was foretold back in the Old Testament, whereas Simon Peter's was not. Christ would say to Simon Peter and all of the other apostles at the same time that they would betray him. And the apostle said, no, it won't be possible, Lord. I would be prepared to die for you. And yet when push came to shove, they all scattered when push came to shove, they all failed him, which points to the two natures in the believer. So I want to call this message Betrayal, and I want to approach this subject from the standpoint of people betraying the Lord. I made a message two years ago called Betrayed, and in that message I spoke about a lady who had been betrayed by her church, and her church was the Catholic Church. Well, for today, I want to try, (laughs) if I can, without my camera blowing over, to look at the subject of betrayal, but from the standpoint of a person betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember some years ago, speaking to this chap, he was uh, Greek, Greek Orthodox, I seem to recall, and he said to me that when he met the love of his life, he had to convert to her own religion, in order to be able to marry her. And I said to him, so what was her religion? What is her religion? And he said to me, she is a Muslim, and I had to convert to Islam in order to marry her. And I thought, what a sad situation. Imagine saying to her, well honey, I want you to convert to my religion in order to marry me. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. He turned his back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the wind is really picking up. (laughs) And... He thought nothing, I mean nothing, of turning his back on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to marry this Islamic woman. Now, I'm not going to stand in this morning and suggest to you that he was a saved man. I don't believe he was, but he was part of what we call Christendom. He went through a religious system. He knew all about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, and his death burial and resurrection. He knew all about that. As do catholics and protestants and yet in spite of all that he would still turn his back on the light of the lord jesus christ on the light of scripture and along the way embrace islam i was told also incidentally as a quick footnote to that story that this couple she was from uh, i think saudi arabia from memory like i say he was a greek orthodox individual from i think it was either cyprus or greece would fight, like cat and dog. And this goes back to people that convert to religions. And I'm always very interested when I hear about such people that convert, say, to Catholicism, or Judaism, or any religion. I'm always very intrigued to know whether they are a changed person. And here's a question for you. Let's say you have converted to Catholicism, for example. Or you've gone back to Catholicism, for example. Or you become a Jew, for example. Are you a better person for it? Has it changed you in any way whatsoever? I don't mean as far as your salvation is concerned, because you can't be saved in such a system. But what I'm trying to ascertain is, has a change taken place? Are you now... A better man or a better woman? Are you a better husband or a better wife? Please excuse me whilst I put my hand <laughs> on the top of my tripod. Are you a better person? Are you a better son or daughter? I mean has a change taken place? Because if such uh, hasn't made any difference to you then I suggest your religion is in vain, quite honestly. This Greek chap that I'm Uh, speaking about this morning turned his back on Almighty God, he turned his back on Jesus Christ and embraced a false religion and like I say he was guilty of betraying the Lord he was a traitor but I'm very interested to know when people turn from any kind of light, any kind of Christian light like Christendom and embrace something else whether or not a change has taken place I remember some years ago when I was in Cairo for one day as a tourist, a very interesting country to visit, and I was speaking to this middle-aged woman on the coach, along with with a load of other tourists, and she said to me how her daughter had uh, got married recently and was head over heels in love with her husband, and she was looking forward to seeing her daughter sometime shortly after uh, returning from Cairo. And I thought, this is an interesting story, where's this going? (laughs) And she said to me, uh, and incidentally, my daughter's converted to Islam in order to marry the love of her life. And I thought, wow, but don't worry, she said, I've looked online, I've done my research, and as far as I can tell, uh, the Muslims worship the same God as we worship. And I thought, the we? Who's the we? <laughs> and I said to her, what have you found online? I wanted to take my time responding to such an outrageous statement. And she said, well, I've looked online, as I say, and I've found some books, and it would appear that Muslims and Catholics and Christians, she was an Anglican, incidentally, all worship the same God, and I'm very happy about that. And I can see her now smiling as she relayed such uh, an account back to me, or what her research had shown, and I said, well, can I say something to you? That you are incorrect. In fact, Muslims don't worship the God of the Bible, and Christians don't worship the God of the Quran. The two gods are not the same. You may find that Islam is a monotheist religion, You may find that Judaism is a monotheist religion. You may find Catholicism is a uh, monotheist religion. You may find that Protestantism is a monotheist religion. But so what? The book of James says that the devils believe that there is one God and tremble. Big deal. I said uh, they don't believe, this is in reference to the Muslims, that Almighty God has a son. They don't believe that the Son of God died for the sins of the world. So therefore, Islam and Catholicism, Islam and Christianity, Islam and Christendom, are not the same. And she seemed somewhat set back by that, taken back by that. She wasn't very happy to hear that, because she had convinced herself that her daughter was okay. That her daughter hadn't betrayed the Lord. And she said to me, well, uh, we're Anglican, like I say, her and her family, And I said to her, you know, was your daughter a regular churchgoer? Of course, I knew the answer. And she said to me, not really, she never went to church very often. I thought, but again, it's a sad story, because that daughter, that young woman, had come from a Christian background, quote-unquote, had some light, had some revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And yet, in spite of that, she turned from such light to embrace Islam, to embrace a religion which rejects the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always very depressing when you hear about such people that were never saved to begin with, were part-time Christians, part-time Anglicans, part-time Catholics, or like the chap at the beginning of this message, a part-time Greek Orthodox turning around and forsaking our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Please go to Galatians chapter 5. So I will attempt to now spend a bit of time looking at the Word of God. And it's always a gamble for me when I head up to the open-air pulpit as to uh, how it's going to go when I leave. It isn't always as windy as it currently is, and I always say to myself this, that once I arrive at the open air pulpit, I will do the best I can. If I start something, I will attempt to finish it. Galatians chapter 5, let's look at verse 1 please. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand firm, stand to attention. You join the British army, you are called to stand to attention. Take a stand, contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He He not only died for your sins, and if you are a saved person, all of your sins have been paid for. You want to rejoice in something? Rejoice in that. Never mind going back into a system like Catholicism. And I hear about people that convert to Catholicism, or they go back into Catholicism and they become very religious, and by doing so, they reject the light of Scripture. They reject Christ's death on the cross. They are betraying Almighty God. In fact, we got an email, not very long ago, from a very uh, concerned woman, and she said to us that she had been a missionary in uh, Central America, I seem to recall it being and she was from that country. It may have been Guatemala or Ecuador, I can't remember. And she met this guy who was a British missionary and they got married, had children, and the marriage hit problems. And she said to us in an email that they returned back to the UK and this guy was backsliding. He was uh, struggling with pornography and he married this woman, or he moved in with a woman, I should say. he met this Catholic woman, moved in with her, and refused to pay child support to his wife and children. If all that wasn't bad enough, he then converted to Catholicism and completely shunned his wife, and I seem to recall three sons. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He turned from the light of Scripture. He turned from Christ's substitutionary atonements on the cross and, as a result, became guilty of treachery. And I think to myself this, that when that happens, I'm not overly sure there's a way back from that. Now, if he was saved before he became a traitor, if he was saved before he turned from his wife and uh, sons, then he's still saved. But if he wasn't saved, and he's now messing around with a woman, he's now messing around with Catholicism, a system which puts a curse on anyone who is justified by faith in Christ alone, then he is lost, twice dead, as the book of Jude uh, speaks about. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again, with the yoke of bondage like the law like rituals, like going to Mass like the Ten Commandments like keeping the Sabbath like abstaining from foods doing this, doing that the problem with the Galatians was that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't enough for them they got bored with the blood of Christ they thought they would have to do something in order to improve their relationship with Almighty God. It's like this, somebody comes along and offers to pay your debt for you. It could be a car loan, it could be a mortgage, it could be your child's school fees for a year. And you say to yourself, that's a nice offer, and you kindly and very respectfully and very gratefully receive such a payment. You don't turn around, two months down the line and go back to such a person and say, but did you really pay that fee? Or can I give you something in response to that fee, which you could never pay for yourself, you could never meet yourself, you take it as a gift. And yet the Galatians were guilty of backsliding. Two, behold, I Paul say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, of course, circumcision, back in the Old Testament, was only relevant to men. But you can take such a passage from Galatians 5.2 and spiritualize it to women as well. If you do anything, or if you approach the cross of Christ, receive it by faith, and then turn around down the line and put something in its place, you are putting yourself back under the law. In fact, every time you backslide, you're putting yourself back under the law. You are resurrecting the old man. And yes, you can resurrect the old man. Verse 3. If I testify again to every man that is circumcised, women too, but in a spiritual sense, that he is a debtor to do the whole law, never mind the Ten Commandments, never mind abstaining from the Ten Commandments. You are now expected if you want to return to Catholicism, for example, or Judaism, like Ivanka Trump, for example, you are now expected, according to the Apostle Paul, to do the whole law. And there are, what, 600 commandments over in Acts chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Peter, would make the case that they couldn't keep the law. They struggled with the yoke and the bondage of the law. They didn't want to be under such a system. They rejoiced that the Lord Jesus Christ came to die for their sins and to rescue them from the law. Verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now, you can't be justified by the law. So, in some ways, this is a rhetorical statement. He's saying, If you are justified by the law, which is impossible, if you read Romans chapter 3, then you have fallen from grace. You have lost your standing with the Lord, not your salvation. You have been temporarily cast aside, if you will. Christ has become of no effect unto you. You go back to Catholicism, for example, or you convert to Judaism, for example, or you become a muslim for example christ has become of no effect to you he is no use to you he is of no help to you he can do nothing for you and this is the truth of the matter when we try and understand why people are turning their backs on the lord jesus christ i remember speaking to a couple not long ago and they told me how one of their daughters had married this Jewish man and had moved to Israel with her husband had converted to Judaism as a result of marrying her Jewish husband and now was uninterested in seeing her gentile parents in her mind her gentile parents were unclean and therefore she couldn't and didn't want to see her unsaved parents, her Gentile parents, I should say, because as far as she was concerned, they were unclean. She too has become guilty of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. She has turned from the light of Scripture. She has turned from the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, she wasn't saved, she wasn't a born-again woman, but she came from a Christian background. She had light, she had revelation, she went through a Christian system growing up, and yet that wasn't enough for her. Last June, we were outside the British Museum in London, and I saw this guy walking towards us, and I recognised him straight away. In his day, he was a very powerful man. He was in the Tony Blair government, he was a minister. And I remember reading about him 10, 15, maybe, yeah, 15 years ago, thereabouts, how his son had converted to Islam. And I thought, what an interesting story. And I saw him walking towards us, and I went to offer him a tract. He wouldn't take it, but his wife took it. And they crossed over at the zebra crossing and went into one of those huge homes. And I thought, there you are, you see. She took a tract, the wife of this ex-Cabinet minister in the Tony Blair government, and yet his son, their son, Converted to Islam, betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, and was guilty of treachery. Stand fast, stand firm, 5-1. Therefore, in the liberty you have free will, use it, don't abuse it, wherewith Christ hath made us free. More your past, present, and future sins, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Why go back? into Judaism, which is what the Galatians were doing. Why convert to Catholicism, a works-based system which can't even guarantee that you're saved right here, right now? Behold, I Paul say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Why convert to Islam? Why turn your back on a man who loved you, who bled for you, who died for you, who was resurrected for you? Christ shall profit you nothing if you are circumcised verse 3 if I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law you try and keep the law you try and be a consecrated person seven days a week you try and wake up at the right time every day of the week you try and go to sleep at the right time every day of the week you try and eat the right amount of food every day of the week. In fact, in the UK, it is uh, the view of experts, take it or leave it, but the view of the experts is this, that if you are a man, your daily calorie intake is, I think, 2,000. 2,000 calories a day for a man, and 1,500 calories a day for a woman. You try and reach that target seven days a week, Next time you go shopping, get your calculator out and you try and work out how many calories are in a loaf of bread for example, or a pint of milk, or in butter. You'll be quite surprised. An average slice of bread, is a quick footnote, <laughs> contains around 110 calories. 110 calories, 120 calories, there are more calories in white bread uh, than uh, brown bread of course, but You try and reach that target, you try and stay within that uh, 2,000 calorie per man per day uh, criteria, or 1,500 a day for a woman per day, it's going to be very difficult. And that's just from a a physical standpoint. That's just from the standpoint of trying to live healthily, or walking daily. Uh, We are also told in the UK, another quick statistic, another quick... uh, point to share with you all that you are expected or you should walk 30 minutes a day to stay healthy to avoid uh, getting diabetes. Very difficult, very difficult to reach a target. So I put it to you this way if you can't keep such a criteria, if you can't manage to discipline yourself or eat the correct amount of calories every day or exercise 30 minutes a day, you've got no chance of keeping the law to perfection as well. Go to Titus chapter 3 please. What we really need as Bible believers and as Bible teachers is a greater sense of honesty, a greater sense of people being honest with themselves and what the Word of God actually says. I caught a video clip a few nights ago of a preacher taking questions from his audience. And a lady walked over to him and she said to him, so are you perfect? You spent 25 minutes lambasting uh, those of us all around. And it's always very easy to lambast other people and yet, take a look at yourself sometime. And she said to him, so are you now sinless? Are you now perfect? And this guy said, well, I'm sinless in Christ. And I thought, what a response? Now, if he meant to say, I have an imputed righteousness, if he meant to say, I am sinless in the eyes of the Lord, okay, fine. But when it comes to speaking to unsaved people, don't be so pious, don't be so pompous, When I speak to people on the street, I will tell them that I am a saved sinner, saved by grace, but I'm no better than anyone else. And whenever I come across these guys online, I always cringe because I think although I appreciate what they are trying to do, and like I said during my last message, during the Broken Key, I won't criticize a brother, I won't criticize someone who has the guts, who has the courage to take a stand in the highways and the byways, but if I can, I will maybe speak to such a person privately and say, but brother, can I suggest you tweak your message here? Or may I suggest you tweak your message there? What I don't want to uh, do is become guilty of remaining or mimicking such piety. And this guy was saying, in essence, that since he got saved, he was perfect, he was sinless. And after a 10-minute conversation, he finally had to admit that sanctification will differ with different people. But it took 10 minutes. It took 15 minutes of going back and forth with this woman before he finally would admit that he wasn't sinless that sanctification was an ongoing process but what he wouldn't admit to and this really grieves me is the fact that he hadn't sinned willfully since he became a christian and i thought either he's a liar or he is deceived or maybe both but i guarantee to anyone watching this video anywhere in the world that if you are saved You have sinned willfully, you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, I don't feel particularly well today I will go back to sleep or you wake up and you feel like having a good slap-up meal, you shouldn't do of course your doctor tells you that your health needs to uh, recover you've been abusing your body for 10-15 years as a saved man as a saved woman and yet you say I don't care and you go and have a big fry-up meal and you start to feed the flesh, that's willful sinning. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's what First Corinthians is all about. That's why you have people that are sleeping in Jesus. That's why they are told to check themselves out before they go to the Lord's Table. It has nothing to do with the Mass or the Eucharist. It has to do with their bodies being the temple of the Holy Ghost. And as a result, Christ lives within such people. You had people turning up in Corinth that were drunk. You had one guy sleeping with his mother. You had people suing each other. And Paul would lambast such people. He would lament such people behaving in such a way. You see, you've got the Corinthians, very carnal, very loose, if you will. And you have the... Galatians, very legalistic, very upright very self-righteous, like the street preacher I don't do this, I don't do that I'm this wonderful person although he didn't actually say that but he was alluding to that and I don't nearly and I don't do uh, wickedness anymore I don't practice sin anymore I would say this to you and I would quote 1 John chapter 1 that if we say we haven't sinned We make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. We need honesty. We need more brothers, teachers, uh, to be more honest and speak up the two natures in the believer. I must be mad filming in such weather, but you know me, if I start something, I aim to finish. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 4 please. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, God manifest in the flesh. Put Christ next to Muhammad. Put Christ next to anyone, anywhere. It's pathetic. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by grace, saved by faith in Christ alone. That's good news, that's wonderful news. Christ came, he lived, he died and was resurrected for our sins. And the Word of God says if you believe in that, if you trust in that, you are saved. And yet people are turning from that, converting to Catholicism, a works-based system which puts an anathema on anyone anywhere in the world that wants to be saved by faith in Christ alone. Some people turn from that and embrace Judaism. Some people turn from that and embrace Islam. And as a result, if you use the analogy from Galatians 5, they have fallen from grace. Christ has become of no profit to them. Not the works of righteousness, which we have done. Out goes the Ten Commandments. Out goes going to Mass. Out goes trying to be a Eucharistic minister in a Catholic Church, or a deacon in the Catholic Church by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Supernatural, of course. The Word of God says how your new birth isn't as a result of the will of man or others, but by Almighty God, John chapter 1. The new birth is supernatural from the beginning to the end. Almighty God allows people to believe on him. He allows people to trust in him. But the process, the source, the person to credit for the new birth is Almighty God you can't save yourself you may go to Mass you may go to your local Baptist church or Presbyterian church or any church for that matter it can't save you in fact I've just finished writing about Freemasonry for March's newsletter and may I say that it's going to run to around 30 pages so (laughs) hopefully you can bear with me if you get a chance to read it, and I'm finding men and women all over the world that are taking blood oaths, they are cursing themselves, like people in witchcraft do, with the hope, with the expectation of pleasing the great architect of the universe. Why bother? Almighty God has come to earth, the Word of God says how he came to seek and to save that which was lost, He came to find us He has drawn all men unto Him It says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved And yet these people, men and women all different backgrounds are in bondage to Freemasonry They are taking a a blood oath uh, They are cursing themselves like the Jesuits do In fact the Jesuit oath is very similar to a Masonic oath And it speaks about killing one another. It speaks about killing others who would betray secrets of the Lodge, secrets of the Jesuit system. Not of works of righteousness, which we have done. Out goes the Lodge. Out goes going into your local Lodge to be initiated. Out goes uh, having your shirt ripped open. Out goes having a noose put around your neck. Out goes uh, rolling up your trouser leg out goes taking your First Communion out goes becoming a Jew out goes becoming a Muslim and keeping the five pillars of Islam it's all in vain but who speaks against this? who speaks out against such? in the UK we have the Churches Together movement the ecumenical movement they all pray together, they all hang out together, they all do religion together and they too are guilty of treachery. They have betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ not of works of any kind but according to his mercy grace. God's righteousness or God's mercy or God's God's righteousness, at Christ's expense, imputation, shall we say. But according to his mercy, he saved us, past tense, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, imputation, not baptism, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, substitutionary atonement, that being justified, exonerated, cleared by his grace, We should remain heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And sometimes people say, well, I want to take my time. I want to examine more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I want to spend more time reading the Word of God. Well, here's a little thing for you. Every time you get on a bus, or if you get on a bus, (laughs) I put it to you this way. You don't lean over to the bus driver and say, "Uh, can I check your driver's license? You don't lean over to the bus driver and say to him or her, can I check your insurance? Can I check your paperwork? You don't lean over to the bus driver and ask him or her, but how long have you been driving for? Or do you know the way to my location? You board the bus, you pay the driver, or you show the driver your bus pass and you sit down. You are trusting the bus driver to get you from A to B. Because only he knows the way. And yet there are some people who think they can get to heaven without Almighty God, without Jesus Christ. You've got no way of getting anywhere near heaven without Jesus Christ. He goes into the ground, he comes up out of the ground. He goes to heaven, he comes back to the earth. He speaks to the apostles. He spends 40 days on and off with them. And then is eventually taken back to glory. He goes up, he comes down. Who else has done that? Who else has died, gone into the ground, has been resurrected from the dead by himself, incidentally, John chapter 2, goes to heaven, or returns to heaven, puts his blood in the Holy of Holies, and then comes back to the earth. Did Muhammad do that? No. In fact, when Muhammad died, his own men didn't bury him. They were so sure that, like Jesus, he would be resurrected. They were wrong. There is no one else in the history of the world, as I stand this morning, trying to finish this message, <laughs> that comes anywhere near the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet people, like I say, will scrutinise him, they will take a lot of time to go through the word of God to make sure that It means what it says, and says what it means, and yet they won't question their bus driver. They won't question their train driver. They won't question their plane captain. Not driver, of course. They board such a vehicle with faith, with the belief that they will get made to be being justified by his grace. It's a free gift. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not only are you saved from all of your past, present, and future sins, but you are now a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. One day you will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now a son of God. God gives you everlasting life. God gives you himself. You are born of God. You are in the beloved, which goes back to eternal security. If you are saved, your sins are forgiven. If you are saved, your sins are paid for. Your sins don't need to be paid again. When you came to the Lord, if you're saved, he saved you in your worst possible state. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if he died for you as a sinner, if he died for you (coughs) before you were born, (coughs) if he died for you and loved you, whilst you were in the worst possible state as an unsaved man or woman then he still loves you now as a saved sinner he will judge you as a son not as a sinner but he loves you nevertheless he doesn't uh, pull the rug from you he doesn't say well you've been saved five years, ten years but you messed up along the way or you weren't as faithful as you should be, and I always say, join the club. None of us are as faithful as we should be. None of us love the Lord like we should do. We can't love Him like He loves us. He would have a conversation with the Apostle Peter, and He says, "Do you love Me, Peter? How much do you love Me, Peter?" And He asked him. He asked him three times, and Peter said, "You know, I love You, Lord." And He did love the Lord, but. He was carnal, he was fleshly, he wanted to uh, take a man's head off, and he missed a man's head and took his ear off. And like I say, the Lord would restore him from his treachery, and he would go on to be one of the leaders in the early church, whereas Judas wasn't restored. And like I say, he would go to his own place, and some people think that Judas will be the Antichrist. I'm not overly sure. I think it's more likely that the spirit that... Possessed Judas Iscariot will possess the Antichrist, so there's hope that if a saved person stumbles, if a saved person becomes guilty of betraying the Lord, there is hope that such can be restored. But go back to that British chap that I mentioned some time ago, a missionary in Central America or South America, I can't remember where it was, maybe in Central America turning his back on his wife and sons, moving in with a Catholic lady, becoming a Catholic. As far as I'm concerned, as a former Catholic myself, I would say that he was never saved to begin with. And he has certainly fallen from grace. I mean, it's like this. If someone does something for you, if someone uh, shows you their love, if someone says, here are the keys to a nice property, or here are the keys to a nice car, the sort of car that you couldn't afford to buy and run, or the sort of house you couldn't afford to buy and maintain, for you then to, for you then to turn around and say, thank you very much, but your house isn't particularly uh, worth me moving into, or, that, or the car isn't particularly worth me driving around, is a snub. It's an insult, and as such, you would uh, be castigated by such a person for holding such a view, or having such a a selfish mindset. But here's a quick footnote, and turn to Hebrews chapter 1, please. When we speak to Catholics about this type of a subject, they say, well, you guys are very divided. They say that you guys are one of many denominations. Well, let me say this to you as a response to that. Yes, it's true, there are many denominations, there are many groups, within groups, far too many for my liking. But it comes down to this, that if those groups, or if people within those groups, or if there are people within those denominations that are saved, that have been justified, then they are saved. Everything else, like church governments, uh, dress code, what time of the week they want to meet to break bread is all secondary. It becomes a secondary issue. And if those groups, if people within those groups stray into apostasy, and they will on many occasions, then it becomes a judgment seat of Christ issue. But as far as salvation is concerned, it's not an issue. So, as far as I'm concerned, yes, there are many denominations, but that shows me there is diversity. That shows me there is liberty in the body of Christ. That shows me that Almighty God has allowed people to worship Him in different ways, providing, providing they are born again, providing they have received Him by faith alone. So, just because you are in a system which may consist of many people, big deal what does it prove? just because your church is a clone of one another just because you all appear to sing from the same hymn sheet so what? what does it prove? read Acts chapter 1 sometime read Acts chapter 2 sometime you've got 120 people in the upper room in Jerusalem not 1200 people not 12,000 people you've got 120 people in the upper room And by the end of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, you've got around 3,000 souls that get saved. Not 30,000 souls, not 300,000 souls, but 3,000 souls. The minority, according to Scripture, have always been in the truth. And the majority, according to Scripture, have never had the truth. That's why it says how the road to hell is broad, but the gate, the entrance to heaven, is narrow, and few, and few, and few there be which find the way, find the gate. Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 3, please. Who be the brightness of his glory, Jesus Christ, of course, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on High. All by himself he purged us from our sins. All by himself he has made an atonement for our sins. All by himself he has saved us from our sins. And this is what organised religion hates. Organised religion hates anyone, anywhere, coming along like yours truly and preaching how we are saved by faith in Christ alone not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us according to his grace." They despise that. It makes them feel inadequate. It makes them feel redundant. It makes them feel worthless, which of course is what they are. Listen, if you're born again, you don't need a priest to help you out. If you're born again, you are a spiritual priest. If you are born again, you don't need to go to a church or a temple. You are the temple of God. There is no temple in the church age for the Bible-believing Christian. There is no church in the church age for the Bible-believing Christian. For the church age, you are the temple of God. Almighty God lives within you. That's why people are being judged over in Corinthians for living like the world. Because Almighty God lives within them. Who being the brightness of his glory, you saw Jesus Christ, you got a good a good look, a good, uh, a good uh, glance of the triunity of the Lord. And the express image of his person, he that has seen the Father, or he that has seen the Son, has seen the Father. And upholding all things by the word of his power, let there be light, and there was light. When he had by himself, Mary, Mass, no. Muhammad, no. When he had by himself outgo your Ten Commandments, outgo you doing religion. When he had by himself purged us from our sins, or purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. It is finished. It is done. Mission accomplished. Christ has died for the sins of the world. It's great news. And yet for some people, it means nothing. So Hebrews 1.3 rules out any works. Hebrews 1.3 work, uh, rules out any third party involvement or any third party uh, mediation or mediators. Hebrews 1.3 rules out anything, anyone, anywhere else uh, needs to do to help you get to glory. Chapter 2. Look at verse 1, please. Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Therefore we, the children of Israel, this is written to the Hebrews, therefore we, the Jews, ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Most people approach Hebrews with the mindset, with the understanding that it is addressed to Gentile believers, no, it is addressed to Hebrews. Hebrews are Jews. The writer of Hebrews is a Jew writing to the Jews. As a people, like the twelve tribes of Israel, James 1.1, Therefore we, the children of Israel, ought to give them more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Christ came the first time to the children of Israel, lest at any time we should let them slip, lest at any time we should turn from the Messiah, lest at any time we should remain under the old covenant, trying to do religion. That's what Romans 10 verses 1 to 4 is all about. That's why the Jews for the most part wouldn't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, because there were no works involved. They wanted to be saved by their works, like the Freemasons. In fact, I was reading an article about the Freemasons in preparation for this month's newsletter, and they're very proud of their works. They're very proud of the money that they raise for charity. And I thought, but you can't share your faith with anyone. If you are a Freemason, if you are a man or woman, and yes, there are women in Freemasonry, incidentally, you can't go uh, knocking on your neighbor's door and sharing Freemasonry. with your neighbours, because it's a secret religion. And they say, well, we are very open about what we do. You're not open about what you do. You won't allow cameras into your lodges to film your rituals. You won't allow cameras into your lodges to film your services. You won't allow cameras to stream a live initiation from your lodges, at least with churches, even false churches. You can go in and see what people do. It's a secret religion. It's a closed religion. And on top of that, it's only interested in wealthy people. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Context, jury. Jump down to uh, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bear them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Christ came the first time, and his arrival was foretold back in Deuteronomy 18, and he would do miracles like no one ever did. And he would do miracles because the Jew is entitled to have a sign or two, The Jews began with miracles from the book of Exodus, chapter 4. And uh, Moses would do miracles along with with, uh, Aaron. So you would expect the Messiah to arrive and do miracles like no one had ever done since or before. How shall we escape? Verse 3, children of Israel. If we, children of Israel, neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him." Now, like I say, you've got the Messiah, a Jew, coming to the Jews that were under the law. And he would keep the Sabbath because he was a Jew. He would mark, or he would keep uh, dietary restrictions because he was a Jew. He would go to the temple because he was a Jew he would keep the feast days because he was a Jew. The early church were Jewish for the most part, but the Gentiles were not expected to keep the Sabbath. The Gentiles were not expected to keep themselves from uh, dietary restrictions. There is an exception over in uh, Acts chapter 15, which I've spoken about over the last couple of years. But apart from that, exception or that one deviation from what I'm speaking about this morning. The Gentiles for the most were not expected to be circumcised. They weren't expected to go up to the temple. They had no business uh, being in such a place. In fact, it speaks over in Ephesians about the Gentiles being without the covenants of the Lord outside of the Commonwealth of Israel, without hope in the world. That's why it's wonderful when uh, a Gentile gets saved, when a Gentile believes on Jehovah, when a Gentile shows a great love for the Jews. How shall we escape, children of Israel, if we neglect a great salvation? John the Baptist will say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, Jesus Christ, of course, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him the apostles of course god also bearing them witness they had the sign gifts both with signs and wonders read the book of acts for more information and with diverse miracles and gifts of the holy ghost according to his own will no mention here of the gentiles this is simply in reference to the jews verse 8 thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet for in that he put all in subjection under him he left nothing that is not put under him but now we see not yet all things put under him so you receive Christ he becomes your Lord and Saviour Lord because his deity Saviour because he died for your sins and one day he will come back to rule and reign verse 10 for it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Again, you board the bus, or you board the train, or you board the plane, and you put your faith in such a person to get you from A to B. You don't check their credentials. You don't ask to see their paperwork. You board such a by faith, you take Christ at His word. If He says, "Believe on Me, and you'll be saved," you will be saved. If He says, "Come unto Me, and I'll give you rest," He will give you rest. That's all there is to this. You just take Him by. You you, uh, you take Him at His word, and you believe on Him, receive Him, and trust in Him. You simply take him at his word. It's not rocket science. And and after you do so, excuse me for sniffing, he becomes a captain. He becomes the Lord of your salvation. You board the ark, as it were, and he will get you from A to B. Verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Who else could do that for you? All this talk about women converting to Islam to marry the love of their lives, or men converting to Islam to marry the love of their lives, or people going to Catholicism or Judaism, or anywhere. And yet this great account concerning Christ, that through death, verse 14, he might destroy him, that to the power of death, that is the devil. Did Muhammad do that? Absolutely not. Can Judaism do that? Absolutely not. Can Catholicism do that? Absolutely not. And deliver them who through fear of death Will their lifetime subject to bondage? Bondage to the law, bondage to religion. Fear of being destroyed. Fear of being a castaway. Fear of losing their salvation. Many people believe that you can lose your salvation. Most churches, most ministries, believe that a person can lose their salvation. What a terrible thought. And I put it this way, let's say you believe that, let's say you are a ministry, or you are a minister, or you are a church leader, okay, and you believe such a thing. Do you tell people, before you witness to them that, hey, by the way, if you mess up, or by the way, if you don't do this, or by the way, if you do that, you risk losing your salvation do you warn people about such i bet you don't you went out if you go out you preach to people if you do preach to people and you told them to believe on the lord jesus christ you may have said repent you may have said turn or burn and then down the line some of these people backload the gospel down the line they start to put works or they put works into the mix. They say, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And if you don't do this, or if you don't do that, or if you're not living it, you lose it. They are deceiving you, and they are deceiving yourself. Chapter 3, look at verse 5, please. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? And we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So for the Jew, he would hear this rabbi preach at spots such as the open air pulpits. And he would like what he heard. He would like how the rabbi, this uh, this young rabbi would preach from the uh, Tanakh and would sharpen the law, would really, hold up the Word of God, would really glorify Almighty God, he liked that. And yet he was concerned (coughs) about his uh, ancestry, he was concerned about uh, Judaism, and he was concerned that perhaps these Gentiles would come along and interfere and somehow water down or destroy Judaism. And therefore, he was faced with a dilemma, what do I do? I like what this rabbi says, and yet some of his teachings are very hard. It says how he preached with authority. Unlike the scribes, unlike the Pharisees, what am I going to do? It's going to cost me something to follow the Lamb. But Christ, verse 6, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. You are my disciples if you continue in my word. It was imperative, John chapter 8, for the Jews first and foremost to believe on the Messiah and then to stay with him, not to buckle, not to go back under the law. It speaks about. Many of his disciples, walking with them no more. John 6, 6, 6, they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us because they were not any of us. They weren't of us. 1 John chapter 2, uh, from memory, verse 19, I think. Speaking about those that began with the early church, but then turned around, John 6, 6, 6, or Judas Iscariot, another good example, and permanently departing from the Lord. And in that case, John 6, 6, 6 especially, going back under the law, treachery. They would betray the Lord. They would weigh him up and they would say to themselves, it's going to be tough to follow him. It's Going to cost us something to follow him, and they would turn from that and go back under the law, and that's what this is speaking about. Hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And yet, most people will preach this particular piece of scripture and say that you have to endure to the end in order to be saved. And if you don't endure unto the end, you either lose your salvation if you hold to the Arminian view, or you were never saved to begin with, if you hold to the Calvinist view. Both are incorrect. This is not addressed to the Church. This is is addressed to Jewish believers, I will say that. But the Church, in the sense of Gentile believers, if you will, this is not addressed to. Now we can read Hebrews, and I like Hebrews a lot, and we can take a lot of spiritual application from Hebrews. But doctrine, per se, is problematic. Verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Brethren, a Jew wouldn't call a Gentile brethren. A Gentile wouldn't call a Jew brethren. But a Jew would call a Jew brethren. Take heed, brethren, children of Israel, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. That's what sends people to hell ultimately, unbelief, in departing from the living God. The just shall live by faith, with faith all things are possible with the Lord. People say, when the millennium begins, that you won't need faith, only works. And yet they seem to forget that when Christ came the first time, he demanded faith. You could be standing right in the presence of the Lord as near as I am to my camera and he expected you to have faith in him faith is what saved you and faith will be a part of the millennium you're not saved by your works alone in the millennium you go into the millennium based on Matthew 25 as a result of being saved during the tribulation Matthew 25 speaks about the goat the goats and the the sheep the saved and the unsaved and the sheep are those that got saved in the tribulation, and off they go into the millennial kingdom, the new earth, if you will. The church, of course, will be reigning with the Lord for a thousand years, New Jerusalem and on the earth, but those that got saved in the tribulation, those that weren't put to death in the tribulation, those that meet the king at the end of the tribulation are then rewarded, and off they go into the millennial kingdom, faith alone. Now what you do in the Millennial Kingdom, according to the Pauline epistles, is dependent on how you live, like now, during the church age. And yet it is possible that you can lose your place in the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, first Corinthians chapter 6, if you live after the flesh. But you can't lose your salvation under any circumstances. Uh, take heed brethren, excuse me, it's so cold for March. Take heed, brethren, take heed, children of Israel, lest there be an any of you and evil hearts of unbelief in departing from the living God. Almighty God wasn't the God of the Gentiles. Almighty God wasn't your God until you received him. Now, in a physical sense, yes, we are all descendants of Adam, but we are not children of God until we are born again, Galatians chapter 3. So all this talk about converting to Islam, or Catholicism, or Judaism, or any ism, uh, and somehow being received by Almighty God, is a fast. In fact, this Greek chap that told me about this woman that he married, and had to convert in his, uh, to Islam in order to marry her, he said to me, well, it's all the same thing. In fact, use a four letter word, and I said to him, You're incorrect, my friend. It's not the same thing. It may be in your mind, you may think that Islam is the same as Christianity, or Christianity is the same as Islam, but it's not. Britain is not the same as Brazil. Brazil is not the same as Britain. My fingerprints are not the same as your fingerprints. My uh, eye color may not be the same as yours, we're not the same people. This country is not the same as France or Germany or Portugal, we're not the same. What you like to eat I may not like to eat. What you like to drink like tea or coffee, I may not like to drink. We're not the same people. So why would you think that religions are the same? They're not. This goes back to the ecumenical movement. People very much are deceived. Verse 14, please. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. I'll throw back to the Old Testament. While it is said, Today, right now, if ye will hear his voice, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time harden not your hearts open your heart as in a provocation old testament for some when they had heard did provoke how not all that came out of egypt by moses You can't miss it can you this isn't speaking to you if you are a gentile this is speaking to the jews first century 17 but with whom would he grieved 40 years wasn't you you weren't even there Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Absolutely! And to whom swear he, that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. You are saved by believing. You are condemned by not believing. You are kept saved by what he did for you, not what you do for him. After you get saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2 you are saved unto good works once you get saved off you go into the highways and the byways or if you are insane like I am (laughs) stand at the open air pulpit and try and do a message yes then the works come afterwards or you try and help people like that woman whose husband walked out on her and her three sons and we helped her as best as we could the works come after you are saved not in order to be saved and not in order to stay saved so we see that they could not enter in, why? because of unbelief the context is jury the context is come to the Lamb receive the Messiah by faith and rest in him leave your works at the door all this talk about first communions and being a good Muslim, a good Catholic, a good Jew. The law says forget it. You can't keep the law anyway. Go back to Acts 15. Peter says we couldn't keep the law. It was a burden to us. We struggled. But one man was perfect. One man kept the law. And one man, more importantly, fulfilled the law. Chapter 4. Verse 6, please. Seeing therefore, it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Romans, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 4. If any man open the door, if any woman opens a door, if anyone anywhere opens a door and lets me in, I will come in and sup with such. I stand at the door, behold, I stand at the door. I'm outside of the door. Take that piece of scripture from Revelation 4. Yes, it's it's, uh, addressed to a church, but you can take that piece of scripture from the book of Revelation and apply it in a spiritual sense uh, to an unsaved person. And you can put such uh, a verse to such a person and hope that they will uh, receive that piece of scripture from chapter 3, excuse me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, and I'll read it actually very quickly to get it completely correct. Revelation three twenty: Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus Christ speaking, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and will sit with him, and he with me. So, you've got Christ knocking. Picture of provision. And you are expected to open. A picture of appropriation. You've got the Saviour offering salvation. You've got the Saviour expecting the sinner to receive the Saviour's gift goes back to a covenant relationship. It goes back to free will. You need to have faith to board the bus, right? You need to have faith to board the train, right? You need to have faith to board the plane, right? You need to have faith to board the ark. You need to have faith to board the express train to heaven with Jesus Christ as the driver. Get on the ship. Get on the plane. Get on the bus. Just board the boat like Noah would do and allow him to get you from to be, Verse 11 from Hebrews chapter 4, please. Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You can't miss it, can you? Just a tiny bit of faith will work miracles. It will take you wherever you need to go. Start small and work up. But for the Jews, for the most part, they didn't like the idea of being saved by faith alone. They thought, but what about the law? What about the Sabbath? What about the temple? And the Lord gave the children of Israel 40 years, 30 AD till 70 AD, to get the house in order. And he kept the Romans back and he allowed the Pauline epistles to be uh, written and distributed. He allowed the Gospels to be written and disputed. He allowed all of the Apostles apart from John to die out and then the Temple went down. The second Temple would be destroyed and any Jew living at the end of the first century, you would have thought anyway, would have said to him or herself what's going on? We've lost two Temples. Has God forsaken us? He has forsaken the Old Covenants, if you will. He has forsaken the parts of the Old Testament, which you couldn't live up to, Jeremiah 30, 31, 32. In fact, in Jeremiah, I thought that's last night, (coughs) it's interesting to me that this great prophet, Jeremiah, would write such a huge book, a lot of material, a lot of meat in that book, and much of that material is still to come to pass. It will take place in the millennium. He wrote that book when the Jews were at their lowest, deep in bondage, deep in sin, deep in rebellion. And I would suggest that most of the Jews that were living around that time didn't even read Jeremiah's book, and yet it found its way into the Old Testament, the Tanakh, and it's very much part of our Bible. But the Lord speaks about a new covenant in Jeremiah. He speaks about the Jews not keeping the old covenant, many covenants, the Noah Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, uh, and he said, you couldn't keep the old covenants, you wouldn't keep the old covenants. You've been a stiff-necked stiff-necked, and rebellious people pretty much from the beginning. So I will give you a new covenant, in the new birth, and I will send the Messiah, being Jesus Christ. And the Jews were indifferent. They were indifferent back in Jeremiah's day, and for the most part, they were indifferent during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Leaven again, let us children of Israel labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Get under the blood, do something. Appropriate the atonement. Lest any man or woman fall after the same example of unbelief. You're saved by believing, and you are damned for not believing. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You get saved, like I say, you become a spiritual priest. And Christ is our great high priest. We don't need the Pope of Rome. We don't need cardinals. We don't need bishops. We don't need parish priests. We don't need pastors or deacons or elders to help us get to heaven. Now, if you're saved, you might want a helping hand from a Bible-believing brother. Okay, fine. But Such a person can't help you get to heaven. Such a person can't uh, intercede for you. It is between you and the Lord. And here, Jesus, as our great high priest, not just high priest, but great high priest, has passed into the heavens. Who else has done that? I mean, seriously, who else has done that? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hold firm, dig deep. What would Paul say? Uh, lay, lay hold of eternal life. Uh, make your calling and election sure. You have passed from death unto life. This is great news. We are already, according to the book of uh, Ephesians, in heaven in a spiritual sense. Five, 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as of need of milk, and not of strong meat. He's saying this, the right of Hebrews, could be Paul, it may not be Paul, I don't know, but the right of Hebrews is saying this, that you should be teaching now. You're not children anymore. You should be maturing, growing grace. And if you meet brothers, on the streets and I do, who have been saved 10, 15, 20 years and haven't got out of the Gospels, or can't explain imputation to you, or justification to you, or sanctification to you, they are babes. They haven't grown. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teacher again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And I become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. It's a rebuke. And why is this given? Look at verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered. Why? Seeing you dull of hearing. You are dull of hearing. You are dull of hearing. You are indifferent. You go through the motions. You give the Lord lip service. You go to church. And the moment your church service finishes, home you go, television goes on and you are glued to your television until you go to sleep. Or you are glued to your laptop until you go to sleep. You go through the ritual. You may be saved, I won't say you're not, but the moment your church system or your church service or your church gathering ends, back home you go. Hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. So you can't miss it, can you? It's a rebuke to the children of Israel. And some of these people that would have read this epistle in the first century would have been saved, of course. But the writer of Hebrews, could be Paul, like I say, is addressing it to Jewry. He's addressing it to the people of Israel. He's hoping that this will be passed around to Jews in the first century. And yes, you can take these verses and apply them spiritually to people living today. Of course, like I say, I love the book of Hebrews, but I know that doctrinally it is addressed to the Jews, people of Israel. Chapter (coughs) 6. Chapter 6. This is always a good one. That gets uh, quoted by those that hold to conditional security. Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 4, please. For it is impossible... For those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and are made partakers of the holy ghost and have tasted the good word of god and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucified to themselves the son of god afresh and put him to an open shame the picture here is of a jew like judas perhaps or maybe caiaphas or anyone from the first century who would commit the unpardonable sin, Mark chapter 3, who would see Christ face to face, who would observe his miracles and say, But he's doing so thanks to the devil, unpardonable sin, which can't be committed today. A, a Jew sees the Lord, as I say, observes the miracles, hears the sermons, walks with him, perhaps dines with him, has fellowship with him, or starts off with a level of faith in him, and then turns around and heads back to the law. John 6, 6, 6. Many of his disciples walked with him no more. They went out from us because they were not of us. Or, if you be circumcised, you are falling from grace. Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, with Galatians 5, I will make the case again that that's probably speaking about saved people who are trying to do religion and have... Uh, fallen out of fellowship with the Lord and it says over in 1st uh, John that if we confess our sins uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness so on and so forth but at the same time from Galatians chapter 5 that if you are circumcised you are fallen from grace you are now a debtor to do the whole law is also perhaps aimed at unsaved people that are trying to get to heaven by doing their own thing like here for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the holy ghost and have tasted of the good word of god and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away back to the law thank you jesus but i'm going back to the law if they shall fall away i'm going to marry the love of my life and become a muslim If they shall fall away, I'm going to marry the the love of my life and become a Jew. If they shall fall away, I'm going to become a Catholic. If they shall fall away, I'm going to become a Freemason, to renew them again unto repentance. Why? Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ, okay? There is no way to be saved outside of his blood atonement it's all about the blood the precious blood of Christ go back to John the Baptist behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world if you don't want to be saved that's fine God won't force you to be saved he will judge you once you die and he will judge you by Christ's righteousness Acts 17 30 31 And if you don't match up to his righteousness, which of course you won't, then you will be damned. So yes, you have free will, you can receive it or reject it, but outside of Christ, outside of the blood, there is no way to be saved, and that's what this is all about. If you sin willfully, meaning if you turn your back on the blood, turn your back back on the Messiah, turn your back on the message, the Gospel, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and go back under the law which Christ says is now obsolete he has fulfilled the law then of course you can't be restored you can't be saved any other way and that's why it's heartbreaking when people become Jews especially Jews we are premillennial at this ministry we love the Lord we love the Jews of course uh, we love Israel Um, We know that the Lord has a heart, a love for the Jews, of course. But we also realize that Judaism, as it is today, isn't part of the New Covenant. You have Jews today who are part of a system and go to synagogue regularly and they pray and they speak to the Lord and yet their prayers are not answered because they're not part of the New Covenant. And when they die, and they will die, Ten out of ten people die, according to the scripture, they are damned. Why? Because they haven't believed on the only begotten Son of God. You see, we will say that. Because we are friends of Israel. We will warn them that outside of Jesus Christ there is no way to be saved. And that's what this is all about. If they shall fall away, John 6, 6, 6, to near them again unto repentance. If they fall away permanently and go back to the law. Seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, back to the animal sacrifice, and put him to an open shame. Not in reference, not in reference to somebody messing up, a saved person. I mean, Simon Peter, like I say, would betray the Lord. And it says how he would curse, he would swear, he would blaspheme. He almost killed a man, but he was restored. But he sinned willfully, right, but he was restored. You go to Acts of the Apostles, the Lord says to Simon Peter, slay and kill. And he says, not so Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean of itself. He starts to argue with the Lord, sinning willfully. Go to uh, Galatians chapter 2, he's hanging around with the Jews and he's making the Gentiles feel uncomfortable. He's making the Gentiles behave like Jews. And old Paul arrives in town, he says, hey, come here you, and he calls Peter over, who knew better, and he castigates him. He condemns him in front of everyone, because Peter was guilty of preaching another gospel. Galatians chapter 1, chapter 10, look at verse 10, please. By the which will we are sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he died once for the sins of the world. And if you have believed on him, you are saved the moment you believe on him. You don't need to be saved again and again, and nor do you need to get a mass every day of the week. The mass is an abomination. Verse 15, please. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he has said before, This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Children of Israel, not the church. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And yet spiritually speaking, this can be in reference to you and I because Christ lives within us. 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What a great offer. Can your God promise you that? Can Allah promise you that? Can being a good Jew promise you that? Can being a good Freemason promise you that? How about no? 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and a body washed with pure water. Let us, the Jews, let us, the chosen race, let us, the children of Israel, draw near with a true heart. Don't be double minded in full assurance of faith. It's all about faith. Having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and a body washed with pure water, not literal water. You are saved by the blood of Christ and after you are saved you get baptized by literal water. 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man of summers but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For the Jews, it was imperative to stay together as a group. For the Jews, it was imperative to get saved and stay with the Saviour, not to go back to the law. So here, 25 is speaking about the Jews as a people staying together as a body of saved Jews. This has nothing to do with going to church or not going to church. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, like John 6, 6 and 6, is interesting number as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And the 26 gets cited by our conditional security, brethren. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking, for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. If we, the children of Israel, sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, Jesus Christ would say he was the way, the truth, and the life There remaineth no more sacrifice for us. Absolutely. Where else could you go to be saved? Simon Peter would say to the Lord from John chapter 6 that he was convinced that Christ had eternal life. Where else could they go after they'd been in the presence of deity? So 25 is in reference to one's identity as a saved Jew. 26 is in reference to coming to the knowledge of the Saviour, like I say, and then turning around and saying thank you Jesus, but no thank you. I'm going to go back to Judaism, or I will convert to Judaism, or I will become a Catholic, or go back to Catholicism, my faith in a system which cannot save anyone. 27, but a certain fearful-looking thought of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. I think it comes down to this. And I'll start to wrap this message up. I've got a few more minutes before my battery cuts out. For some of these people that I've spoken about over the last little while, it would be better for some of those people to have never been born. Peter speaks about them. Coming to knowledge of the truth and uh, getting tangled up, overcoming. It would have been better for such never to have been born again. That's how serious this thing is. 29 of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God? And hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of Grace, for we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people, his people being Israel. In the context once again, Jews come into knowledge of the Saviour and perhaps going back to the law, wanting to perfect their atonement, wanting to perfect their standing in the Lord. And Almighty God says, that is an abomination to me. 38, now the just shall live by faith. There's our word faith. But if any man draw back, John 6, 6, 6, my soul shall have no part in him. Why? Well, once again, there's nowhere else to go to be saved there's no one else to trust in, in order to be saved. Almighty God has ruled the Old Covenant obsolete. He has concluded the Old uh, Covenant. Christ has fulfilled the Old Covenant. We are now in the New Covenant. 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, eternal damnation, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Go to chapter 12, please chapter 12 and look if you will at verse uh, 22 but we are coming to mount zion and unto the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to an innumerable come and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to god the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. It's all about Jesus, and that's why it's imperative to get saved, to trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, not to do religion. 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh free will, for if they escaped not who refused him, not spake on earth much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven back to the law whose voice and shook the earth but now he hath promised saying yet once more i shake not the earth only but also heaven almighty god is long-suffering he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance 28 wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve god acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God being Jehovah and our being the Jews. 13, 13 10. we have an altar, whereof well, they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Not a literal altar, but a spiritual altar. And yet when this was written, the temple was still up and running. The Jews still had access to the temple. And yes, saved Jews would go into the temple. For today, we are the temple, those of us which are saved. Verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, to the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And on that wonderful statement. I will sign out and wish you every blessing in Jesus' name. Maranatha and speak to you soon.